This is Scientific American Science Quickly. I'm Christopher Indaliata. It's pretty much every kid's dream, or at least it was mine. Well, welcome, Christopher. Behind You're at the Natural History Museum, and the scientists who work there are like, kid, uh, we're taking you behind the scenes. This is not part of what the public is to see. This is well, on a recent evening, my childhood dreams came true as collections manager of the crustaceans, Adam Wall, many, many took me right into the vaults of the Natural History Museum like of LA. This room we consider to be incredibly valuable. These collections are the part of the museum that hides in the shadow of the T-Rex and Triceratops skeletons, the part of the museum that's not as charismatic as the stuffed elephants and lions. It's a vast biological library, shelves upon shelves upon shelves, with tens of millions of specimens not on public display. So we have things like coconut crabs. We have these absolutely alien-looking rabbit-eared barnacle, then an acorn barnacle, which is this really traditional hard-looking thing. And then also you have a little chunk of the whale skin that uh, that barnacle is attached to. So and there's fairy shrimp too, which I'm kind of obsessed with because of their Mad Max level abilities to evade fire and drought and then just suddenly spring to life. Adam's got lots of them here. Little room, and we're gonna go look at undoubtedly the largest collection of endangered fairy shrimp in the world. This is incredibly valuable stuff. He says this room alone is insured for $600 million, and it's built to last with special lights and electrical switches. Um, it's a very similar setup that you would have in like an oil refinery. And the reason for that is there are hundreds of thousands of gallons of 95% ethanol in this room that we use to preserve specimens. Ethanol is also highly flammable. It is explosive. So in this room, if there is an earthquake, we don't want there to be sparks because that's how you lose museums is fires. Um, he turns he big really wheels cool on the sides of the shelves to roll them apart. Those things that you have in your local library so you can fit even more books into a small space. It exposes a tower of fairy shrimp samples. The shelves are like twice as tall as me and they're crammed with labeled jars, like condiments on a fridge door. Actually, this particular specimen is from uh, San Diego County and is ranking at uh, Lindeli, and we have the whole community represented in this one jar, which is from uh, America, California, San Diego County, Proctor Valley, and then it tells us the exact size of the mesh of the net that it was collected on. That's really cool. So it, it really is like a snapshot of a moment in time at a very specific place. Exactly. And we're incredibly happy to be the repository for Bernal Pool fairy shrimp in Southern California. Kind of looks like you're running out of room, though. <sighs> don't, don't talk about it. Every collections manager in this place is running out of room. I am, and specifically for the fairy shrimp, I'm going to have to, like, move everything and make some more room. The but reason the museum needs to make room for these fairy shrimp samples is pretty much the reason the museum needs to make room for anything else. It's to keep these relics from a particular time and place on planet Earth so future scientists can answer the questions we still don't know we need to ask. And it's just really important to have these snapshots of the biodiversity through time. Because That's exactly why this collection is so valuable. For example, they have crabs collected at Pacific atolls before and after nuclear bombing tests in the 40s and 50s. Nobody's ever going to be able to sample those pre-explosion crabs again. It is a time machine that allows you to go to places that don't exist, to ecosystems that have been destroyed, 
or to just very conveniently go and look at the biodiversity that exists in Madagascar because we had that on a shelf and we can walk around and look at it instead of getting on a plane and dealing with all the hassles of international travel. And in the case of vernal pools, because so many of them have already been destroyed, a jar sitting on a shelf here might be the only record left of the biodiversity that once existed in a particular pond. And it's just waiting there for a scientist to discover it. But aside from all these jars, Adam had promised over email to show me some real live fairy shrimp too. So we head back to his lab on the other side of the museum, winding through a maze of hallways and galleries and stairwells. Up this uh, set of stairs, which is for the original uh, part of the museum, into the Grand Rotunda, and then I decided... The Rotunda is truly stunning. Marble columns and walls, a stained glass skylight overhead, and at the center, a bronze statue of three muses, art, history, and science, holding up a glowing orb. It's pretty cool. So, anyways... We should probably... It's actually fairy shrimp season, which you probably noticed because... Back at Adam's lab, there are yet more vials sitting on one of the lab benches, samples field researchers have recently sent into the museum. Remember how he's running out of room in the collection vault? He grabs one of the vials and takes a closer look. It's really cool. This is actually the resting eggs from that species. Um, and if you were to take this sample and expose it to rainwater and put the right conditions, so like the right temperature, the right humidity in the air, you would actually get baby fairy shrimp in like 24 hours. Luckily, he's already thought so, ahead. You want to look at some baby, baby fairy shrimp, which just hatched out an hour ago or so? That sounds fun. Okay, I know babies. In the other room, he shows me a big glass jar with a flashlight shining on it. It's full of tiny little specks. But if you can see anything that's moving right now, then those are the larvae, and they will be concentrated around this light, and because they're phototactic as um, larvae. So. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, you can yeah. see them now. Yeah. Once I've focused in there, I can I can see them kind of right over here. Yep. There's a couple of them right there. It looks like. Yep. And there's that one right there. It's just like doing crazy barrel rolls and stuff. Um. Yeah. I super love these things, they are crazy. It's hard to see too much without magnification, but he does have a microscope set up on another bench. Over here, we have the Ferrari of microscopes. It's like a $40,000 dissecting scope. I think we cried a little bit when we finally got it. There's a video screen where we can see four baby fairy shrimp just flitting around, spinning circles around themselves. The only real appendages it has are these antennae that it's actually using for locomotion, and that's how it's swimming around. These totally look like some video game from like the 1980s spaceship kind of a thing. He's right. Um, it totally looks like something out of Atari's Space Invaders. And if it's not clear already, these fairy shrimp are tiny but truly mighty. They've lived through the breakup of Pangea. They've lived through the KT extinction. They've lived through the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. In the next episode, we'll talk to scientists like Shannon Blair about the one thing that's putting the resilience of these hardcore survivors to the test, human development. Science Quickly is produced by Jeff Del Vicio, Talika Bose, and Kelso Harper. Music by Dominic Smith. Don't forget to subscribe to Science Quickly wherever you get your podcasts, and head over to scientificamerican.com for in-depth science news. Science Quickly, I'm Christopher Indariata.